From St. Andrew's Episcopal School in Ridgeland, Mississippi, I'm Toby Lowe, and this is Parent Teacher Conference, a podcast about popular and enduring topics in education from the perspective of parents, teachers, and educators. In today's episode, Kim Sewell, who is a wonderful early childhood center teacher, joins me along with Leslie, uh, the parent of a wonderful four-year-old. Awesome. Four and five, oh, so you're keeping busy. Uh, and a little different today, normally we'd like to have a student join us uh, in the studio, but um, we're gonna be having some video evidence later on that will be inserted by our wonderful producer. <laughs> Alrighty, so uh, one thing that I had wanted just to get started with was this idea of uh, student independence. And I know a lot of what that looks like in my classroom context, and for fifth graders, I know a lot about what I can ask them and to do. But then I thought back to, well, what happens when you're teaching foundations, or when you're teaching three and four-year-olds and five-year-olds who are so used to being just under surveillance at all times? Um, so I'm hoping y'all will both be able to elaborate either as a parent, which is an arena I have zero experience with, or as an educator. Uh, what does it look like to have a student who is four or five, but is still also independent. Who do you want to start with first? Does it matter? Either or. I'm fine with both. Okay. I'll let you go as a parent first. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, uh, independence has kind of been really one of our things that we wanted to do strongly. Um, my husband is in the military, so I am, you know, with my children a lot. And um, it really started with my mother-in-law. She um, has only got in my business twice and she has uh, told me that you know marriage would be the hardest job I'd ever have but then she told me once I had children that as a parent your job is to raise a child who's independent responsible happy kind contributing members to society and she said and that's it that's it doesn't sound too hard right you know that's that's all you have to do and she's only gotten in my business twice so I thought okay I need to take this to heart and um we really started as a family deciding independence was important I mean my goal is to raise an adult uh, an adult that is well-rounded and and can take care of himself and can be a good spouse and a good coworker. And, you know, that's really my role is to do that for them. And so that's kind of where we started with the whole independence thing. It's so awesome to have such a clear-eyed vision of an end product and teaching you're supposed to plan with the end in mind. And it's so easy to get caught up in the minutia of the day-to-day -day struggle. So I'm, it's just awesome to hear that you're just like, here's where they're going to end up. Right. And we kind of looked at it even as like a, a business perspective. You know, you get your like business model of this is going to be, you know, this is our, what we choose is our business and our goals and our strategy. And so most of our life is not planned like that. But um, as far as parenting, we thought these are important. We need to have what is important. And when we get lost and confused and busy and just the madness sets in. It's like, no, we need to slow down and help. We need to help him. We don't need to do things for him. We have to, you know, help him learn. That's, that's the point. That long view helps. Mm -hmm. And as a teacher, we look for helping the child be successful for the next grade and the next grade. And so laying a foundation is kind of what look, we look at it, just like a parent. 
you lay the foundation now, and as you're in the midst of it, in the short run, it's easier to help them out and do things for them, but that doesn't serve them well in the long run. And it's just like a parent, you have to keep in mind when they're upset and don't wanna do something, giving them the skills so when they finally do accomplish it and they're happy, you know, that was the long game goal. Absolutely, absolutely. So, yes, I love that we have these um, this business plan, like you said, because you know one of the things I do hear about teaching is there's no manual for it. Um, so I'm glad that y'all have decided to write your own, or for parenting as well. There's no manual, so y'all have pretty much uh, <laughs> written your own here. Uh, I guess my next question would be: So you have these guideposts that you kind of cling to. Um, what are some daily ways or weekly ways that you kind of enact that? Like how, so you've got your big framework set up, what are some of the ways you fill it in? Like what are, if you could give me an example of one thing you're doing now or you, you did last week or whatever to kind of help foster that independence. Um, well, self-care, their ability to, you know, take their clothes off, put their clothes on, brush their teeth, you know, not that I don't go back after them and make sure they floss right, but, um, you know, those are some big skills that even four-year-olds can do great. Um, for us, it's everyone cooks. You know, they have their own knife set, spoon set, mixing bowl. They have their own aprons. They have their own cleaning things. We've got little brooms and, you know, and it, at first, well, we kind of looked at the Montessori method. And if they had the tools to help clean up, when they made a mess, they won't panic. They won't freak out. They won't, mommy's gonna be upset, mommy's stressed, Mom, you know. I, I've, if they have the things to, and know where to go, and the tools always live there, and I can go get the towels and clean it up and take it to the laundry room, to my low basket, because that's my basket, and that's where it always lives. And I mean, that's just, it, it definitely helps the process, and it helps them be confident in things. You know, that little mess, was no tears. That little mess was just, oh, messes happen. And we just picked them up. And that's how all humans kind of work. And that's how we do it in yeah. a daily life. <laughs> Absolutely. So you mentioned Montessori there. And uh, all three of us, I think, have a pretty good understanding of what it is uh, due to just whatever our connections are. But I think maybe for the community at large, you hear Montessori you might not know what it means. So Kim, would you like to, I'm just gonna give you the really small task of explaining an entire system of education. Well, I'll start with what most people that I run into, what they think Montessori is. A lot of people have heard freedom within limits. And when they hear the word freedom, they like freak out just a little bit. They feel like, oh, if a kid wants to open a window and walk, go out the window, they can do that. Nobody says no in Montessori and that's a misnomer. Um, it really is a partnership of self-directed learning, observing a child, and fostering that independence. And so in the Montessori mindset, just like Leslie said, you give children tools that they can manage. So most of the um, materials in Montessori are their sized because it makes a huge difference. If you're going to clean up a mess, if you have an adult sized broom, you're going to knock three other things over and make a bigger mess as opposed to a child size. So it, everything is their size. And it is um, giving them those tools and then giving them a script of how it works. So you model. There's constant modeling 
um, on how you do what we call works. They, most people call it play, um, but when you have things in your house or in your classroom and you want them to know how to pour milk, we take for granted that we know how to do that, but a little person that's never done that before or is using a huge milk jug needs things scaled down, you give them a lesson and they are amazing at what they can do. And so it just helps foster that and they know the limits, they know what they can and can't. So it's very structured, it doesn't seem like it is, but it can be very structured and it's safe. They know their boundaries, they know what they're capable of, what they are, they're given the power to explore to see if they can try something and if they fail they know it's not gonna be the end of the world and they can figure out what they can do to change. Thank you so, so much. I don't know if I rambled or if that helped. No, I but think, yeah, I think that that gives a great description of it because I will say as a teacher of older students, you can tell the ones who have been to Montessori because they do know how to do those, those practical life elements, right? Uh, they know already how to sweep without me needing to do a, a mini instruction. of like, here's how you would clean off your desk, right? A lot of that has just already been covered. So you can actually really tell a Montessori product. <laughs> yeah, they have yeah. to be very organized. They usually become very organized and yeah. self, they can self-motivate, they can self-regulate, which is huge. Yeah, that's the other thing is that you've both touched on is this acceptance of failure or basically just seeing it as part of the process of doing something correctly. Like you're gonna spill something at some point and what you do next is what's more important than what happened to you. And I mean, that's kind of, I see it a lot in fifth grade, like a, especially in math, a reticence of even, you know, raising your hand to answer the question. And I know a lot of that is also from pressures that are outside, but if you're used to learning that it doesn't feel bad to be wrong or feel bad to make a mess and you know what to do next, like that's such a huge difference in your life as your education continues. When it takes away some of the emotional stress so that education can be there. You know, if you get some of these just anxiety and work up, you know, um, my youngest does get a little more worked up. And it's like if I can help him know messes are okay. I mean, my oldest, if he cracks an egg and some of the shell gets in there, he's okay. He understands, you know, how to get it out. And my youngest still struggles. But taking some of that anxiety of mistake, mess up away can really help the education soak in better. Yeah, that and, and just of course, it doesn't feel good to feel anxious. No, it <laughs> and doesn't, just doing, it doesn't. Yeah, just, just being able to free folks of that. I wanted to loop back. I love that everyone cooks at your house. How would you respond to someone saying, doesn't that just give you extra work? Aren't, if you're always having to go back and double check, like aren't you just setting up more work for yourself? Like, what would your response be to that kind of a question? Uh, there are times it's difficult. There's times, like you said, about pouring the milk. Um, we actually used the little mini fridge for the longest time that was theirs. And we, when I got a carton of milk, they had their own thing that they poured it out of very young, and that, that was theirs. So yes, I mean, that was steps of extra work. But now at this age, it's become, you know, I took those steps early and, that process took a little while, but now it's easier. Um, in fact, my four-year-old and five-year-old will often wake up, cook their own breakfast before they even come get me. And so that's kind of worth it. There you, you know? go. <laughs> that long um, game is working. Yeah, yeah the long absolutely. game is working. That's, okay, so take that, y'all. I mean, not many other four- and five-year-olds probably are able to 
take care of themselves in the morning. Right. <laughs> so, it. I mean, it's difficult, and there's times it's difficult, you know, especially if I'm overwhelmed or we're, we're busy and we've got to get things done. But I, I have a friend who's also very Montessori, and she always says, I've got to do this because one day I want to see my grandkids. And if I make a really good spouse that can take care of themselves, you know, then that mother-in-law is just going to be, you know, she's going to let me see those grandbabies all the time. Um, and so, but, you know, more than that, just helping make a good adult. Absolutely. Um, and even if I'm remembering my history correctly, so Maria Montessori is the Montessori of Montessori. And do you can you enlighten us a little bit more about like the history of wh where she started and, and, and kind of why she started doing what she was sure. doing? Sure, she was um, she's from Italy. She was the first woman to become a doctor in Italy back in the 1800s, and they did not want her to do that, but she fought and she did it. And so when she finally became a doctor, they put her in a institution with mentally ill children, and she worked with them and realized that they weren't necessarily mentally ill. They had some issues. So she started just observing and she observed what they were interested in, what they would do. And she made works for them and gave them like purpose. And she saw how much they could do on their own. And so she went to um, the village that she lived in and opened up a I guess we would call it a child care center. She kept people's children that usually would just be left by themselves and just slowly watched and observed and realized that children have an amazing ability to concentrate and focus at a very young age if they're interested. And so all those care of self skills that um, we do for our children for the most part she realized they really wanted to do and could do and how much when they would take care of themselves it built their fine motor skills and their gross motor skills which then carried over into education and it just slowly grew from there and has spread all around the world yeah and I think there's such a great equity piece in there too as you're honoring each individual and what they're able to do and, and not making choices for them which I think happens at a lot of schools, right? We, we kind of sort students for whatever reason. Oftentimes it's in the sake of efficiency or whatever. Uh, but uh, that's one of the things I love about Montessori is just like you're giving every child the chance to do what is good for them and is best Exactly. For them. And she believed her ultimate goal was to create humans with self-worth and to build community and collaboration. And if you had that, you would have peace. And to have peace, you would have world peace yeah. and that was her goal and again links back to like I'm just trying to create a good person a good spouse like mm, I love it exactly. <laughs> That's, uh, I know. a lot of times we get that like that end product piece gets lost because we are trying to create a somebody who can just get work done and we're not as worried about everything else we're not as worried if they're fulfilled or we're not as worried if if, if we're teaching them to use their talents for like the good of a community instead of whatever else <laughs> what we feel is important exactly yes. thank you yeah and that's the difficult part sometimes for me, you know, the mess, the more in the kitchen isn't, but each child wants to learn something different and wants, you know, I, I give them the option of, okay, what do you want? And, and my oldest said he wanted to learn to canoe. And so now we have a canoe and mommy's out there doing it. And it's not always what I, I want to be doing, but it's 
you know, what's going to benefit him and what's fostering what he wants and what he wants to learn. And then we can talk about how water's flowing and, you know, you can just, you can learn from anything. Abs I absolutely agree. I don't, I, I don't think any one area of content has to be elevated. I think if you follow student interest, you're going to get a lot more done. So that can feel like a daunting task to an educator. What would your advice be for someone who's trying to inject more choice into their classroom or into their home, right? I mean, maybe routines work really well for you and you're worried if you add more choice, that's gonna blow up what you have that's been working so well. But what are some ways like I can give my students more choice? Well, it depends too on the age of the child and what you're trying to do. But I would, I remember one time when I first started working here, I was an assistant and I remember that when the, the lead teacher had to leave for two days and I was so excited, I was gonna you know, bring all the stuff that I, <laughs> that I wanted to do and it was absolute utter chaos. Oh, no. Because the children had not been prepared. They, I just gave them all these choices and they didn't know what to do, they were overwhelmed. And so that was a great lesson for me to always reflect and look at yourself first and what you're comfortable with. And moving into something like choice might be difficult at first, so just give two or three. And they can be very structured choices. Um, in the morning in my classroom, we have table time. So I put, I call them works, some people call them play, um, materials on the table. And when they come in and they get through checking in and putting all their stuff away, they can choose any work at the table, but it has to be something that's on the table. They can't pick something else out. So that way I kind of have a little control of what they can do when they first get there and I can't be hands-on all the time. It doesn't get out of control because I already know what they can and how well they work with the works that I put out. So I guess that would be kind of as you slowly, and then as you get more comfortable, if, if you're, you're allowed to, if you're, you have time, it's not really more allowed, it's time in your classroom, you could do a um, survey of what the kids kind of want to learn about and you might get 10 different things and you can look at those 10 different things and narrow it down to three different things, then they narrow it down to one and then try to go from there and figure out, it's kind of like project-based learning if people are familiar with that kind of term. And our canoe situation came from the Olympics. We watched the Olympics and I gave them choice. What of what thing have you watched that you really are interested in? What would you like to do? What would you like to experience? And I didn't realize canoeing and kayaking was so big in the Olympics, but they really zoned in on that. That and fencing. So Oh boy. Oh I'm glad you went with canoeing there. You went with canoeing. <laughs> But they had choice. I mean, it's not just like it was a free-for-all. I mean, right. the Olympics is a lot of different things, but we only watch certain events. So mm, okay. had some control of the situation there to give go. them choice. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's it's not a free-for-all, folks. There is uh, some limitations. That freedom within limits. Yes, I love it. Um, yeah, and I'm used to, from the limited uh, time I've spent with toddlers, I'm used to the idea of uh, you better make sure you constrain your choices. Because <laughs> otherwise, sometimes, too, if you give them a blank canvas, you're not going to get an answer. They're going to be thinking for so long about what they that want to do. That is true. <laughs> Absolutely. Put two things out there and then they'll go for it. Um, I understand that you have shot some video, which is one of the ways that you communicate uh, to parents, right, about what's going on because 
sometimes there's a big disconnect there. I'm uh, from just what I've heard, even like from parents of fifth graders who are much more equipped to explain accurately what they do all day. Uh, sometimes it just doesn't happen anyway. So I'd love if you just could explain a little bit about what Seesaw is and how you use it. And then um, again, our amazing producer is going to show the video. So if you could just kind of uh, preface like what we're going to all see later. <laughs> sure. So Seesaw is a um, documentation tool that St. Andrews uses in their classrooms. And it's a huge tool in ECC because most of the um, most of the things that you see a child do in early childhood is not documented on paper. We can't send a paper home to say that they've learned this and this because they're not writing yet. So we use video and pictures. And so I've documented, like when they come in, they have a routine of putting their bag up, getting their lunchbox out, choosing their lunch, and then answering a question of the day on our board. And so, and that's the progression. And so you'll see them, by this time we've been in school nine weeks, we just had nine weeks. So for the most part, all of them know how to do that. And I have a sign on the board that has all the um, steps in case they forget. I just point to that so they're not looking at me as the person that has the answers. And then they'll see them. Snack is another option. Used to be that um, we would put their snack out for them and they would just sit at the table and eat. Well, now they go to a table, they read a, they're four, and they read, because we have words and pictures, the snack menu, and it'll say something like one muffin and two apple slices. So they get their plate, they get the tongs, they get what they want from the, from the limited um, amount that they're told. They can't have three, there's our limits there. They get two and one and then they go and they sit down and then they get their cup of water and they pour it themselves if they want to and they eat and then they clean up. We have a person that is a snack helper who puts placemats out. So they all have these little jobs. You'll see jobs that they do um, throughout the day. If there's a video of them after they have muffins, it makes a big mess. <laughs> and so they have their little broom and a little crummer is called and they sweep it up and they help each other and it becomes a whole, so snack usually, you have to have time. It can last a good 40 minutes, but that's just a day in life of a four-year-old. And they've learned so much in that and they've, they've um, developed their fine motor skills that they're gonna need for writing and they feel much more ownership of the classroom. And I just sit back and take video. Yeah, there's no wasted time, I love it. I mean, or more that like everything they're doing is learning at that age. And, I, and, and it makes me think like, oh, how do I need to change my own practice to make sure that I don't have time that's being uh, not used for learning like that? That's the other thing I'd love for you just to expand on that a little bit more on, because uh, there is a lot of, emphasis on like on, on the motor skill at that age. I think it's another thing that even a teacher in like second or first grade takes for granted is all the hard work they're doing to develop like the grip strength and their finger strength. What are some things you do to kind of help out or even like what you have done to kind of help them like, just get be able to chop those vegetables up or whatever else? Well, that's part of it. Yeah, yeah. doing, that. Yeah, doing um, that. We started with like plastic serrated knives, um, but now they have actual metal serrated knives that have kid handles. Um, but we grow most of our own food. Um, so, so much of their fine motor young came from, you know, poke the hole in the ground, put the seed, pinch, 
you, know, you got your fine pinching by putting the dirt back on, or um, a lot of the seeds we start inside and they have to water all of that, and then we go outside and we plant it in the ground, um, pulling you know carrots out. I mean, just the different things, the strengths that that takes. So the food, and they'll eat healthier if they pick it out of the ground. I I feel like I feel like mine at least will eat some vegetables. If I buy it from the store, they won't eat it. <laughs> so at the, a restaurant, they won't eat it. But if they pull it out of the ground, they're definitely eating it. So that's that's really helped with some of those fine motor skills. Yeah, and in the classroom, um, the same type. I mean, we've got clay and Play-Doh and that type thing. We use um, tongs a lot and um, what we call push pins to do, um, forgot, pin pushing. So they'll take the push pin and they'll just go along a black line and they can they realize if they do like a shape that the shape will pop out instead of cutting they do it that way it it makes them focus so you're not only doing fine motor skills they're doing body control um, the patience ends to a means all sorts of things but there's a um, beautiful there's a book called children who are not yet peaceful and it's about a Montessori classroom but one of the things that was amazing to me is they had a child who was six and she she had lots of emotional issues and she would wet herself all the time she was in a traditional school and they pulled her out and they took her to this Montessori school and they were really worried because she was not even holding a pencil yet and for us teachers not holding a pencil at six is like fire drill I mean it's not good and so this teacher was very patient, and because of self-care and what you learned in Montessori, she taught the child how to change herself, and they would actually go outside in the garden, and they would wash, she would wash her clothes. And after doing this for, I think it was like six weeks, she finally stopped wetting herself, but she had developed such strong fingers from doing all that, that she immediately could hold a pencil and write without any help at all and it just shows you the all the everyday life skills that we do we don't realize how much it helps children when they do it themselves all right this is another question i have actually for y'all um both in terms of what you see at home from all the work that you know they're doing at school and from the works that they do again uh, the term work for me and you've called it play sometimes but it's you know we know with very young kids it's kind of similar but I'm a math teacher, so uh, my mind goes there first. And first of all, I know already Montessori has an incredible way of teaching math to students. But I'm just curious, um, in some of the works that you do, how do you weave in like the quantitative thinking piece and, and just the idea of these really foundational mathematical skills? What are some works that you have, that you use, that you feel like are really good at, you know, building up those skills? So. Let me think about how, well, I mean, you could do snack, for instance. I mean, they, in kindergarten, we don't do this pre-K-4, but when I was in kindergarten, like, they would chop up their fruit. And we could say, chop it into four pieces. You know, if you take two of them, you eat two of them, then how many do you have left? I mean, you could do that. We also do, we do do it with cuties because you can pull apart all the segments and they can lay it out, they can do um, kindergarten, we would do even numbers, odd numbers, eating them, what you have left, 
so how many parts make a whole? You, I mean, it can go on. You know, then you talk about um, the color, the texture, what it, it's a circle, but another name for a circle is a sphere. This is a 3D object. So it, it goes into geometry. And that's the great thing about, to me, what Montessori, that mindset, it's not so much the, it is the environment, but the mindset is taking everyday things that you have. Montessori has become a very expensive way to teach. It can be, but it never started off that way, and you can use anything. And that's what Maria Montessori showed you. Just use what you have in front of you. Use the child that's in front of you and expand from there. And it's language, math, culture. Culture is a huge part. So Yeah, all right. And for us, for math, it's, you know, definitely I'll say in this row we have to do, you know, five seats. And they have to be 12 inches apart. And I give them you know, the stick and I show them what 12 is. And, and so every 12, you know, do that. Or cooking, I say a quarter cup. Well, they know what a quarter a cup is, but for them to understand what a quarter cup means is important as well. You know, that how many of those make one cup? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's, it's a one and a four. If you made a four and a four, how many more would we need? You know, and just trying to slowly get them onto thinking of, of that kind of stuff, or even the clock. I mean, time is important. Like, we're putting a timer on 15 minutes, okay? What, now it's been one less minute. It's four, you know, just counting down and up and down with time, and that kind of stuff really helps them understand. And the great thing about that, the way you do that is, especially in the classroom, if it goes over their heads, it goes over their heads, but you revisit over and over, and they'll, and the other children teach each other, which is huge. Yeah, my boys do. I bet they do. Jimbo is the, the teacher, for sure. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, and for folks at home who are wondering, how do I develop a good number sense in my children? It's, it's that. It's that kind of stuff. Just have conversations about it. I think sometimes math especially becomes so clinical and so so defined as oh it's just within these strict guidelines that you can kind of lose track of like we might not think we're doing math but we're we're kind of constantly thinking about it at least so i love to hear that <laughs> um for my own selfish reasons but that's awesome math was my favorite subject so that helps too <laughs> <laughs> it was Interestingly enough, not mine, uh, but the, the somehow I got roped into teaching it. Um, but yeah, uh, remind me, is the Early Childhood Center mixed ages? Do you have a mixture of ages, or are you kind of more separated by we that? We don't. We're all okay. just four-year-olds. Four-year-olds, and then, okay, yeah. okay, good deal. I was just curious about that. Um, uh, one question I have for you, Leslie, is when you are working with your two kids, how often are you trying to delve into what they've been doing at school versus just kind of letting them guide the conversation? My oldest will tell me down to what everyone had in their lunch and if they acted cuckoo because they had too much sugar. I mean, he is like, he will tell it all. I don't have to, he goes through every single thing. Um, in fact, you were talking about table time in the morning. Um, we are the just habitual late people in the morning. I'm that carpool mom that all the teachers hate. And so finally Jimbo said, it hurts my feelings. I don't have as much table time. And I was like, okay, 
I will get up earlier. I promise we'll do this, you know. And so just that he felt safe enough to communicate that kind of stuff. My youngest, I have to just really take some cues from Seesaw, look at what it was. Sometimes I'll even text some other moms, oh, Charlie said something about just to try and have something to pull together of what you learned and what you did. Um, but he's blossoming with it now, and uh, he came home saying something in Spanish, and I, I went with that. A friend that speaks Spanish, we called her, and I was like, he wants to speak Spanish with you. And he was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm nervous. <laughs> but we're, we're going to expand on this, buddy. <laughs> this is a whole other deal you got me yeah. into. <laughs> uh, how about, um, so you were talking about culture, and I think that uh, is its own really important thing that students start from an early age to just appreciate uh, the enormity of, of culture and, and the fact that we don't live in a monolithic society, even though uh, there's going to be a lot of pressures that tell them that we do. Um, so what are some ways that you all investigate that, either at home, obviously the Olympics was one kind of doorway in, but um, at school, what are some things that you all do? I know, again, my mother taught Montessori, so she, she would tell me all about theme and how important theme was when it came to teaching. So what are some ways that you've kind of weaved in learning about different cultures? Well, we have, um, our biggest way is um, our birthday celebration. I don't know if you're familiar with Montessori birthday celebration. Is that the, uh, the earth goes around the sun? Yes. Yes, I, okay, yes. I do you remember. So a child holds the globe um, because they learn they're one person on this big world and that it takes a year to go around the sun. So they're getting science too. But we talk about um, the, it, it piques their interest in all the places on the world, on the earth, and the different continents and the different countries. And children, to me, are amazing is that they can get the big picture and then they can narrow it down to them very quickly because it's all about them. But they can see that progression. So you go from the earth to the continents, to what continent we're on, to what state we're on, to what city, to what school. And we have a lot of conversations about that. And then naturally with um, our class makeup, we have so many diverse cultures and family traditions that whenever we are just daily doing things, people will chime in and say, we did this in my family and we'll talk about where their family was from on the globe and it just starts all sorts of wonderful conversations. So that's one of the beauties to me of St. Andrews is it exposes children from a very young age to many traditions and cultures. We just choose to celebrate. I mean, we're all about some food in our house. So, you know, different holidays that wouldn't be our traditional holiday. You know, we learned how to make things for the Chinese New Year. And we went to Mr. Chen's and got everything and came home and prepared it and learned, you know, all about it. It also helps that their dad is deployed a lot. Yeah. And so he'll send, like, he, he just sent a package um, of traditional African clothing for the boys. Um, and so they get to learn a lot about culture just through where daddy yeah, has where been right and now, where yeah. and daddy goes and, you know, all of these things. Wow. Um, so that helps a lot. Awesome. Yeah. I'm, I just love that idea of what you said. Like they're so aware of their place on the world and identity is really important at that age. And I mean, obviously your whole life is you're figuring out who you are, but I had forgotten that that's one of those things that I kind of miss about working with younger students. I, I worked K-1, so again, a little bit older, um, but 
yeah, one of those things that they're just like, let me tell you about where I am on this map. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> and how cool is it that I know exactly where it is? Y'all, oh, I have loved this conversation and I'm thinking about what else I want to ask y'all. But I guess, um, so we know that fostering independence is a lot of work up front. Um, I guess I would just love to hear a pitch, one last pitch about why you find it to be so important. Because again, you've got your end goal in sight. Um, or I get maybe it just speaks for itself, but sometimes I just know a lot of people will ask or just say, I'm already so busy. How, how am I supposed to make this work? Um, and maybe this isn't a question you can answer. Maybe that's a, a much broader question, but just any advice or any words of encouragement or, 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 or what would you... I would call it a roller coaster. I mean, it is is a lot of work, and there's days we do great at it, and there's days that it's like four days in a row we are not abiding or trying to, you know, learn anything great or new. And it's not perfection. It's it's just, you know, anything that you can try and teach. You've you've got years with these kids. You know, they're they're around for a while, and and make the moments and. Just try. I just try to stay calm. <laughs> just try to stay calm because it is overwhelming. But so is parenting. I mean, parenting is overwhelming in general. Um, and just knowing that, you know, my father said I was not the best teenager and I was not the best young adult. And so he's very proud of my parenting now because he's like, you might be done in 18 years. <laughs> you might not have to parent on into you know, the late 20s, <laughs> if, you, if you try hard now. In case anyone did not think that we were real teachers, that's, uh, that's some proof right there. <laughs> I will say I've heard to do parenting well, you, you work yourself out of a job. That's a really good one. And so if you have that in mind, and also I think as just from a parent point of view, it's really hard to let your child go grow so fast and it's hard sometimes to let go of the stages that they're in and part of fostering independence to me is right before they're growing out of something to introduce something and you may not be ready like when they're little I was thinking about you can like getting my child off the bottle when they're real little it's something that you love, but if you if you wait, it could become their third appendage. <laughs> if you do it before they're quite ready, and I mean, I remember mom were like eight months old. They they gravitate to a cup and they can do it. You don't think they can at eight months? They can, but then that part is over, and so it's this constant to truly foster independence is to me uh, just a gift of love over and over because it's these little slow, I call them slow deaths because they change and they become something else and you've got to look at that long view, a picture of what you want that child to be, that adult, and you got to love them enough to let them do that and not hold them back. And it's very hard. It is very hard. That is, that is beautiful. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, can, uh, I can imagine because you have all these instincts you want to make your child's life easy or at least you know yeah it's tough I'll tell you it's tough just just from my observations fostering this mama with nine puppies has really given some perspective it's like I look at her and her 
just how she acts with the puppies and how, you know, her point is to make a dog that can protect itself and make it in the world. And it's just kind of been like, yep, that's what we're supposed to do. And, you know, I don't know if she's ready to push them off or she's, but she's doing what she knows she has to do to make good dogs. It's been interesting to watch. Awesome. <laughs> We've never had puppies that's before. <laughs> They're doing it very well. <laughs> it's the classic, yeah, you know. You gotta, you gotta push them out of the nest eventually, right? And they're gonna fly or they're gonna not, but. Uh, or they'll be in your basement. One yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, that's, uh, mm, that was one thing I say about myself. As much trouble as I had growing up, you know, I didn't, I didn't end up back there. So my mom did something right. <laughs> well, uh, thank you both so much for making the time to come here. Um, I guess I'll just leave you with anything you'd like to plug or anything like, uh, I always like to ask this, which is essentially if you could make one change and everyone would have to follow it. You make one rule, everyone's got to follow it. Uh, and you know for sure it would make the world a better place. What would it be? Uh, and, and and maybe you're just like, I'm not going to do that because it's all about independence. Maybe you'll flip it on scent. But, uh. <laughs> I, I would say listen and trust children. They They know way more than we think they know. They're not an empty vessel by any means. I just instantly came to my mind was emotional regulation. So many adults cannot regulate their emotions, which do not help children at all. And um, it does not teach them how to regulate their emotions. You know, if you could just, every day I try to figure out a way to regulate my own emotions to help them through things. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, again, thank you both so much. Uh, had a great time talking with you. It's been wonderful. Awesome.